Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? We all know that line pretty well. It's from Snow White. First I thought it was Cinderella, but it's Snow White, right? Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall. My kids used to always hate the fact that I would find gospel parallels or themes in run-of-the-mill movies. We'd go to a movie and they'd say, I'd say, what did, how did you like it? Oh, we liked it. Did you notice that Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2 is a Christ figure? As he's going on the train through the city, he stretches like this to stop the train, and the imagery is him being into the tomb. They hated that. Folklore studies have shown, though, um, that elements of the gospel are seen in secular works because of the impact of the gospel story throughout history, beginning back at year zero. Elements are common. And I see in the mirror here in the folktale that's Snow White that this is also the case. The mirror on the wall does share a resemblance with God and his word if we look at it more closely. It reflects the image of the one looking at it, and it does not lie. It interacts with the person looking in it, and that person has a choice. One, to believe what he or she is seeing, or two, to change. Sometimes, however, the person looking in the mirror sees what they want to see. And this is where I see the mirror at work in Isaiah's text for today. Isaiah is in exile, and the people are wondering why. They were suddenly looking into a mirror that, for whatever reason, stopped working for them. There was no voice. It was not telling them that they were the fairest princes or princesses of God. Something that they wanted to hear but they weren't being affirmed. Being the chosen people of God, they thought that whatever they did, God would never abandon them, and the status that he gave them as his chosen people. They became full of themselves. They were his crowning achievement, the apple of his eye, and they thought they were so good that God fell in love with them because they were so beautiful and they had done something right. God was always present with them. Through his prophets, he communicated with them his will, also his dislikes. Much of the communication was exactly about their sinfulness, their wandering away, that they should repent for having followed other gods that had no voice, that made no promises. It told them that they were not the fairest in the land, and something had to change. But they kept looking in the mirror and seeing what they wanted to see, ignoring God's voice calling them to repentance and following after those things around them, pagan gods, riches, jewels, power, status, that gave them the imagery that they wanted to see. Then it hit them. No more prophets came. No more prophets spoke for 400 years. Was God angry? Had God separated himself from them? They were in exile. 
Isaiah makes the promise that God will speak and that he is present and he will not keep silent. But they would have to wait for that day to come, the day of Christ. That image of the Israelites looking into the mirror on the wall and seeing themselves as crowned princes and princesses of God brought to mind an extension of this metaphor of Disney-esque fairy tale. When our youngest daughter, Nicole, was young, we entertained her by playing a simple game, Pretty Pretty Princess. Do any of you remember or know the game Pretty Pretty Princess? Pretty Pretty Princess was a board game, and as you went around the board, you tried to beat everyone else collecting jewels, bracelets, and your astuteness and prowess led you to defeat everybody else as you went around, ending up as the victor who won the crown, and the goal to beat everybody resulted in the crowning of Pretty Pretty Princess, a plastic crown that the winner won bejeweled in plastic rubies and diamonds, emeralds. A beautiful crown to behold, and even more beautiful when looking in a mirror and seeing yourself as a princess or a prince. Naturally, that's in our human nature. Sinful human nature, we all want that crown, don't we? To be labeled pretty, pretty princess, or let's contextualize it, handsome, handsome hunk. <laughs> pretty, pretty princess, or handsome, handsome hunk. We can all wear the same crown, just change the nomenclature. Sometimes we will go to any length to get that crown, to make ourselves known, to be important. And today's society will assist us in that as the market of goods to make us feel like pretty, pretty princess or handsome hunk. Manufacturers know our goals of outdoing one another. They market unbelievable products to keep us pretty, handsome, feminine, virile, everything from Sonobello to Viagra. Sonobello, by the way, is Italian for I am beautiful. We strive to be good with our diet, our exercise, our beauty regimen. For some of us, it comes naturally. But for most, it's a struggle. However, as we look deep into the mirror, we all have to struggle with this thing called age. What the world tries to cover up and deny and ignore and seeks to escape is reality reflected in the mirror, no matter how hard we attempt to overcome it, physically or mentally. And as princesses or princes, we look to the mirror for confirmation of the truth that we already know or that we want to believe. We want to confirm what we think we are, but the mirror on the wall does not lie. It rather betrays us by telling us the truth. We are not the fairest in the land. But this desire to be crowned pretty, pretty princess or handsome, handsome hunk also occurs among Christians, spiritually. Like with Israel, God's chosen people, there are times that we too might feel far from God or that God seems far from us 
and we don't feel like princes or princesses. He is silent, and we wonder why. Is it me? Is it something I've done? Is he angry? There are two ways in which this happens. One, we believe ourselves to be the pretty, pretty princess or the handsome hunk of Christ by what we do. Even among Christians, we might be tempted to flaunt our spirituality, our contributions, our piety, our gifts, in order to show what a good Christian should be. If we were to win that game, we would be pretty, pretty princess for Christ. Or at least think that he should crown us that, simply because we're better at being a Christian than anyone else. We are tempted to think that in our Christian senior high school book, we might be voted most likely to be like Christ himself. We are tempted to outdo one another, wave our own flag, our spiritual knowledge, our activities, our involvement, using our gifts to the max, becoming smug about how we do so much more than others. But along with that, we might look down on others who do far less than we do as well, who don't believe the way they should be as Christians, which really turns out that we judge them based upon our own achievements. And as princesses or princes, we look to the mirror for confirmation of the truth that we already know or want to know. We want confirmation from God that we are truly his princes and princesses, and that we truly are the fairest in all the land. But the mirror on the wall does not lie. Rather, it betrays us, telling us the truth that we are not, even as Christians, the fairest in all the land at times. For the princess, or for the prince, everything breaks down in the end. Truthfully, we are disappointed when someone ends up doing something better than we do at church, if they show us up. Or when we compare our spirituality to someone else who, even if it's not true, we fear is better than we are. Try as we might in showing our mirror that we are the best, the purest, the kindest, the most gifted, the chosen people from God, the mirror does not agree. Pride goes before the fall. Suddenly we feel separated from God. Am I not good enough for him? Maybe even to the point where we not only don't feel close to him, but that we don't seem to hear his voice. Is he present? Or another way, a second way. We know that we are princes and princesses of Christ, but wonder why are we experiencing what we don't deserve in suffering, in challenges, in difficulties. We try hard to live as the chosen people of God to receive his crown of life, but then it seems that we don't feel his presence. Am I doing something wrong? Why am I having so many problems in my life? Don't we deserve a better life? After all, I believe in him. When things don't go right, we can think I am trying to live as his child, but it seems I'm not getting anything in return. But sorrow and difficulty and challenges. If I am a prince or princess, it sure does not feel like it. 
So sometimes, like the Israelites, we think that we deserve our position as God's children. And that goes to our heads. In both cases, our separation from God is real, and we feel it. Let's face it, when God seems distant, and we feel separated from him, it's because we're too full of ourselves. Meaning that we are not focused on him, but rather the image that we want to see in that mirror. The gifts that God has given his chosen people through his Holy Spirit can and do tempt us to think that we are or might be better than anyone else. And we only realize this when we hit rock bottom, when we feel that he's not there. We're not his chosen precious. It is then that we feel the distance from him that he has left us when we thought we were so close and chosen by him. When we should be hearing his voice but feel ourselves in a vacuum of silence, the mirror doesn't work like it should. We should be affirmed in all things that we do. I'm here to remind you and myself, however, that God is always present. God is always present here and now. He speaks to us through his word, through his word, the law, like that fairy tale mirror on the wall, he reminds us that we are not the fairest in the land. It demands that we take a closer look at ourselves and realize that we are not his prince and princesses because we deserve it. Perhaps our pretentious piety has somewhat tarnished our crown. We are no longer the prince or the princess that we thought we were. It's not because of our worthiness, our gifts, our talents, our obedience, our false piety that God has chosen us to be his. The mirror is not lying. We are not the fairest in the land, but his promise to Israel and to us is that he has chosen to be present and speak to us out of his love and mercy, not out of our deservedness, through his son the living word of God. And when we look in the mirror and we see that we are not the people of God that we want to be, God is not silent. We are pointed towards who is the fairest in all the land. It is Jesus. God's prophetic voice in his word points to Jesus. His faithful promise to the Israelites is his faithful promise to us as well. In spite of their sinfulness and false piety, God's promise and fidelity cries out to them, I will not keep silent. I will not be quiet. And here's how he broke his silence. The spiritual, mental, and physical suffering that we do endure when we feel separation, when we feel that God is distant and silent, the realization of our inadequacies in service to others and to him. The realization of our sinfulness and unworthiness. And the deception of our own piety. He has chosen to deliver us from our separation. Reuniting us with himself by placing his son on a cross. Through this cross, God is not silent but rather cries out, it is finished, and puts to death our sins, 
our false piety, our boastfulness, our separation from him. Come to think of it, God declares his son the winner of the game. Not with a pretty, pretty princess crown, but with a crown of thorns in order to give us a crown of life. With that crown of life, he has given to us his Holy Spirit by whom we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this Holy Spirit is always with us for nobody can confess, as Paul says in Corinthians, that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is not far from us. He dwells within us through our baptisms, through our faith. We are never to be separated from him again. And his voice is the voice of God's word in us. Jesus Christ is Lord. With this crown of life, we also dine at his feast where he gives himself to us as a bridegroom to his bride, as Isaiah says. So our Lord rejoices in giving himself to us where his word together with bread and wine seal that promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Take and eat and drink my body and blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. In this life, we all really play the game of pretty, pretty princess. We want to be what we're not, or we think we are what we are not. And as many times as we play it, there will be others who are far more fairer and we will become jealous and feel alone or ostracized. As Christians, we also play the game. When we play this game with Christ, we always wear the crown of life. In fact, if I were to go back and play that game of pretty, pretty princess with my daughter now, who will be 31 next month, in the end, I think I would use Isaiah's words as her coronation vow. And this is for anyone who wears the crown of life in Christ, and we can insert our own name. But, but the words of Isaiah, her coronation crown for having run the race and received the crown of life. For your sake, Nicole, I will not be silent. I will not be quiet until your deliverance burns like a torch. Nations will see your deliverance and all kings your splendor. You will be a majestic crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal turban in the hand of your God. And that's our coronation vow as well. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ, about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.